Should we just should we just do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I love us. It goes all se- we had we, we, we go all serious because Phil kind of disappears. Um, <laughs> and then we know it's do we like, have to be super serious. Okay, well, you know, I know he's kind of still there. He's just faceless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on such a high today as well, I was just saying to um, Phil, because the kids have been back at school for a day, a day oh, and a half, nice. and it's sunny, and I only needed, literally, all I needed was like a few hours to myself, and I feel better. The life of an introvert. Oh. Right. Um. This week on Freedom Matters, we're sharing the second part of our conversation with Giancarlo Patoco. Giancarlo is an ex-Facebook Instagram employee who spent over a decade studying tech's impact on how we think, feel, work and communicate. Now he's on a mission to help us reclaim our attention, our well-being and our lives from the powerful grips of distractive technology. In this episode, you get to hear us talk about the problems with leadership and technology and some of our thoughts on how to turn the challenges of the attention economy around. We open with a discussion about the recent documentary, The Social Dilemma, some of which we found challenging. I only got around to watching The Social Dilemma this week because it came out when I had my baby and I just said, no, I'm not in the right headspace, I want to sit down and actually look at this properly when I've kind of got the headspace for it. And um, <laughs> I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. Have you watched it? So I, I have. And okay. I get the question a lot. What did you think of the social dilemma? And I boil it down to, you know, it's great to hear so many people talking about this that had never read anything or watched anything about it. Now that it's on their Netflix screen every night, they finally watched something about this issue. And it's raising awareness of the problem and helping them recognize how it shows up in their lives. But as I say about a lot of these documentaries and books and things, it doesn't leave people with a sense of hope or agency or any kind of suggestion as to what to do about it. And so these kinds of documentaries trigger more stress in people. They they already felt some anxiety about their relationship with technology. Now you just showed me something that like told me how the sausage gets made and makes me feel really bad about it and like there's nothing I can do and I'm just kind of waiting for this hopeless uh, set of politicians to figure their shit out. I hate that that's what the primary message is out there is this, oh, it's bad, mm. be scared of tech and it's unhealthy and watch out for your kids and ooh, it's, tech is going to get you. If I'm invited to speak, if they just want me to tell tales about what it was like inside of Facebook or Instagram, I say, sure, but... I have to be able to talk about the solution on an individual level to this as well, because I don't want to ever leave a, an engagement or an audience or a one-on-one interaction without giving someone some sense of hope or at least some sense of you can protect yourself. I use a metaphor of like the needle on a record player is your attention and where you place your attention determines what your lived experience is. The way where you place the needle on a record determines what music gets played. And after, you know, a week, a day, a month or whatever, pick your time, your entire lifespan, you want to look back and enjoy the music that got played. Meaning you want to feel good about the experiences you had, what you put your attention on. And if you're putting your Mm -hmm. attention daily on five to eight hours of your phone, 
time with your phone or you know, a big chunk of that on Instagram or Facebook, that's probably not gonna lead to a life that you're proud to have lived or felt meaningful to you. It's, it's wasting time, it's distracting you from what could be meaningful. It's probably distracting you from having an opinion about what would be a meaningful way to spend your time. I, I, mm. I mean, I do coaching a lot, um, personal development and executive coaching. And this, this is like the first issue we always have to tackle to create space in their lives to just get to know themselves and to understand what do I want for myself. We continued the conversation about the social dilemma. My concern was the leadership picture it portrayed about tech. One of the things I'm really struggling with is it's men who have left tech, calling out the problems that we have with technology and not really offering any kind of solution. It's, it's, it leaves me a bit torn really because although I'm a, I'm a woman, it's the same story for me and it's the same story for you, right? The reality is a lot of us that are now working in this space held pretty senior roles previously in technology companies. Do you think that's a coincidence? And then do you think we're the right people to actually be looking at ways to solve this? I mean, how do you see yourself fitting in this kind of marketplace, which it really is now, of digital well-being? Yeah, I mean, it's not lost on me that I am also one of those people. I come from Facebook and Instagram. I was there when I realized, like, this isn't good and we're not doing anything about it. I, and no one's willing to listen to me about what we should be doing. Instead, I'm out of here. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of those folks who made their riches investing in the company or getting those early stock options uh, and, and jumping out as like super wealthy kind of immune to the ills of society and like saying oh now I'm going to be benevolent now that I made my money <laughs> off of this um, this this problem I'm going to come back and try to fix it I wasn't at that level but I, it's mm -hmm. not lost on me that I, I can also be lumped in with all of those and I, I think Douglas Rushkoff talks about this as well he wrote Team Human he's been yep. talking about this stuff yep. like way before uh, it was at the level it is now way even before yep. Facebook was a thing um, so I really appreciate him and he talks about this he's like How, why the hell should we trust these folks coming from the companies where in many cases they're the ones like the inventor of the newsfeed is now coming out and saying this. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I trust you to do this. There are the same problems that we talk about um, in technology and engineering in Silicon Valley, where it's primarily white men making decisions about the experiences that billions of people have every day, not taking into account the many varied perspectives of other people on this planet is a problem. And that mm -hmm. needs to be addressed in this solution as well. If we suddenly see that like all those executives from these companies are jumping out and trying to like create the solution, we have to be careful about that. We need multiple voices and perspectives and by the way, I mean, we don't need to totally discount those folks if they are practicing perspective taking and speaking to a diverse range of audiences and understanding how this affects uh, communities differently uh, yeah. and the, the struggles. I mean, we have so much privilege that makes it easy for us to make these decisions. I mean, even just having the time to go to like a seminar in digital well-being or to read uh, Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism book, to even be exposed to the media that teaches you that there are these resources and this is something you should be worried about is a, a factor of privilege that you have the time to do that. And your leisure activities include reading these kinds of things yeah. or listening to these kinds of things. So, ah, man, yeah, I mean, look... The, the 
all of this is a human created problem and it's always going to reflect the nature of humanity and we are flawed. And so all the flaws are there. And so, yeah. uh, you know, we're doing our best. It's never going to be yeah. perfect, but we need to know what something closer to perfect looks like and we need to be striving towards it. The conversation continued. I reflected on some of the challenges of ego that I'd experienced within large tech companies, something Giancarlo had also noticed. And then we moved on to talking about how easy it is for leaders to avoid responsibility. There's a whole culture. It's a, it's it's, a, it's, it's, it's a ingrained. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, there's a there's a look to being in that kind of. There's position. a look exactly. There's a, yeah. There's a set of behaviors. There's a way you dress. There's a way you sit on stage at a conference for these things. There's a tone of voice that you use. How do we come across as human? How does this speaker individually come across as someone you can trust and who's giving you the unvarnished truth and is really honest and kind of folksy? They do it internally and externally. Um, they know how to manage their image and, and, and make you think that they're telling you the truth because they were asked tough questions and they had kind of this, oh shucks, gee whiz, if I knew that I'd be one of the smart. It, it sounds like this humble brag, like, uh, like oh man, you, know, you think I'm smarter than I really am. This is a bigger problem. It's like, well, this is the problem. Technology in the digital sphere is like a, a water system, a public utility where we haven't figured out how to get the poison out of the water, to clean the water, to make it safe to drink. But we're like, but but we wouldn't make money as a utility if we had to stop the water and fix it. It's like Flint, Michigan on a global scale through digital media. We got to clean up this ecosystem. We got to clean up this water supply because we're putting poison into people's minds right now. And you're saying you don't know how to filter the water. Well, we got to stop the system and find some alternatives. Yeah. Social media is not so essential to our life that if we cut it off and try to figure it out we're gonna like suffer unduly for it anyway or even I'll just pause development on it keep it as it is for a while like let us catch yeah. up let the regulation catch up and yes. and start to get ahead of it and then we can reset we were both starting to get a little worked up so i decided it was time to shift the focus if we were both critical of a lack of solutions what were our thoughts on a better future for tech so looking forward then what do you think what, what are some of the changes that you would make to the way that the tech economy is structured and some of the regulations are in place? How do you think we can reframe some of the challenges with the attention economy? Well, no question we need to slow down, as you said. Um, this constant pace of change is making it impossible for anyone to keep up. I mean, when I, I work with parents a lot because... <laughs> You know, like no one feels this pressure more than a parent. You know this because you are one and you're now worried not just about your own well-being, but how do I raise children in this kind of new frontier of where we don't know what's true or not anymore in the amount of work you have to do to filter truth versus not or questionable things um, is, is just mind boggling. And so the amount of time it takes to learn this stuff, to know, is it safe for my kids to use it? it it's it's unbelievable. So I love the idea of slowing down, like no new features, like keep things as they are. Let's keep an eye on this. But we need an upgrade in our understanding of these technologies. It's not responsible to have politicians that don't understand how these companies work. I mean, famously yeah. during the Cambridge Analytica scandal, when Mark Zuckerberg was testifying in front of the U.S. Senate, they, they were asking questions that showed a fundamental misunderstanding of Facebook's business model, like how they make money. And they're trying to hold this company accountable when they don't understand how it even works. That scares yeah. the hell out of me. And, and so when people ask me these kinds of questions, you know, what's the solution? Is it government or is it individuals or something in between? And it's, it's yes, it's all of these things. Uh, mm. We need the government to catch up. How do we make that? as feasible as possible. I do think there need to be um, 
some limits, not just on the technology features, but also the growth of these companies. Like the ridiculous yeah. growth rates are out of pace um, with with what would be healthy growth. It's it's astronomical, these growth curves, and then they get addicted to it and investors expect and demand it. So they have to use all these features. There's that famous memo from Facebook, from Andrew Bosworth, talking about how because Facebook's mission is a positive one for the world, basically anything you do as engineers to increase growth of the company and use of the platform, like acquiring new users and getting them to stick on the platform, is justified. So go do your worst because the ends justify the means. Uh, that's scary as hell to me. So yeah. really um, uh, addressing some of these things is going to be important. Yeah, du double digit growth on a billion dollar base is not sustainable or necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. I am encouraged by the investigations happening, antitrust, um, yeah. possibly breaking up some of these big tech companies. But in the meantime, we've got to know how to protect ourselves. We're swimming in a digital environment, but we don't even understand the first thing about it as users. We have to educate ourselves for our own safety. And then as we become parents, or if we are parents, we owe it to our kids to understand what is the nature of this world they're coming into now. And that yeah. is hard because it's changing. I mean, just as parents are mastering Instagram, TikTok shows up on the scene. And that's not even talking about Snapchat. And it's like, how do you get to know these things really well if your peers as a parent aren't using it? It's a little harder. You got to work a little harder. But anyway, is there a silver bullet? No. But slowing down and agreeing as a society, the norm doesn't have to be this constant parade of progress and changes yeah. to technology, new features. Like things are great right now. Let's slow it down and make sure we understand it before we move forward. We do this in other systems. We, we, we don't treat our own mental health with the same care and concern that like we treat um, the safety of astronauts when we're sending them off to the moon, right? Or into space. We're so careful about launches. We see what happens when we're not. And I know it's harder to imagine all the possibilities of impact of a new idea or new technology than to figure out how to make the technology work, but we've got to at least try. I mean, engineers are building our world right now. I forget who I just heard talking about this. Um, might have been one of the founders of the Y Combinator. Um, and they were talking about how most of our world is now built by engineers, you know, in their sitting at their desk with their computer, just seeing like, hey, could we do this? Could we do that? Could we do this? There's, there were no government regulations or roadmaps to doing this. It was just like, let's see if we can do this kind of thing. And now we spend so much of our time every day interacting with each other through digital means that change the way we communicate, change how we express uh, each other, change how we show up for each other. And most of this daily experience is designed by people that we've never met who aren't really held accountable for anything and tend to be white men from the US. And so that's who's designing our experience right now. We don't know who they are. We have no means of holding them accountable. That's, that's not a good situation for us. Hindsight is a powerful thing, but how will history look back on this time and our relationship with technology? I mean, I often take the perspective of how is society today going to be studied 100 years from now, 500 years from now, so on and so forth. I, I try to look back on how we talk about the past, you know, civilizations with different models, pre-capitalism, how we talk about them. I'm like, how, how would historians talk about us now? And it, it's not usually good. <laughs>
No, and I mean, if we look back 100 years, knowing what we know now about climate change, for instance, there would have been a lot more restrictions put on the extraction and the use of fossil fuels in a way that restricted the growth of that part of the economy, but did so in, in terms of thinking about longer-term protection of the whole of the world. So yeah, anyway, we yes. could talk about this forever. Good, so juicy. Oh. <laughs> so juicy. Okay, <laughs> guys, I am going to have to love you and leave you, but thank you for a, a joyful hour. Indeed, a joyful hour went by so fast. Thank you both. Thank you for joining us on Freedom Matters. If you like what you hear, then subscribe on your favourite platform. And until next time, we wish you happy, healthy and productive days.